Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. This is a podcast from Minute Media. You are listening to Rum Muncher Radio. You're watching Rum Muncher Radio as well. We're back. Video version for the first time in a while. We thank you guys for joining us tonight. Episode number 79. And for the first time in a while, baseball is back. We can say it officially. Guys, this has been a long time coming now. A lot to talk about tonight. The CBA, of course, figured out to this point. Some new rule changes. But before we do all that, we have a special guest on, Jason Mackey. Joining the show, Jason, we've been waiting a long time to have you on because your insight is elite. Your coverage of the Pittsburgh Pirates, um, you know, top of the market in Pittsburgh. So we thank you so much for coming on. want to get into your background tonight. Talk about what's going on in spring training, your thoughts on the CBA, everything else. But before we do that, guys, got to let you know about what we got going on at rumbunter.com right now. Some new signees today. Got coverage on that. A lot of other stories around spring training. And, of course, the return of baseball as well. Let's begin to the show tonight. Want to know how Marty, Nick, you guys are doing but uh, Jason, as we start the show, how are you doing tonight? How's spring training treating you? I saw we got dogs on the field. Derek Shelley <laughs> making dodgeball references. How's it going so far? Man, it's uh, it's been really good. It really has. Um, it's been you know sort of a, an ongoing conversation. And by the way, thank you for having me on. I'm glossing over this. I'm I'm psyched to be able to do this, and you know, uh, not being brought back by the fan or whatever has led to different um, avenues, and I'm I'm psyched about it. And I don't know about the like elite in the market sort of thing, but. <laughs> Um, I try hard, and it's a cool system, and it's an awesome market to work in. I'm from here, so we'll get into that stuff. But anyway, um, spring training has been um, markedly normal, and it didn't feel that way. Like, coming out of the lockout and stuff, man, it was just such a weird period of time. But the conversation I've been having with a lot of players in the clubhouse is just like, man, feels good to be back, and not only, like, around baseball, but, you know, COVID-wise. You know, like, we're back in the clubhouse. It's mostly normal access is you know sort of restored and in baseball that matters I don't think it matters as much in other sports but like you do get to know these guys they they know what we're about you have to look them in the eye every day um so for for us that's a big part of our job and so yeah I think spring training is a pretty cool vibe so far it hasn't totally ramped up yet to what it can be um and it's also crazy that just games are starting in three days it's all you know happening very quickly we knew this was going to be the case with players having to report, you know, guys coming from overseas to, to get back in it. What, you know, you, you talked about the vibe, but what is a, that, that kind of rush been like? Players reporting, you know, we thought we might see a crazier free agent trade market to this point. But, you know, with just the rush of everything in a, you know, a non-typical year, how's that transition been back to spring training? Yeah, um, pretty nuts. Like, um, I would say in my days are running together, guys. Sorry, like I'm, I'm trying to figure out what day it is and when I saw what. Um, and I think this was this morning, although it felt like two weeks ago, where um, this morning in the clubhouse, like everybody is seeing everybody for the first time. And like we're, we're witnessing it. We're in the clubhouse. They're all, 
you know, like handshakes, fist bumps. How have you been? How was your off season? Blah, blah, blah. Like all of this stuff has been compressed. Um, you know, when you're seeing it play out today with Heath Embry and Daniel Vogelbach and, you know, just guys having to do things a lot quicker than they would normally. Um, you know, I heard a story, Cole Tucker was joking that, uh, I guess Mitch Keller in Iowa hasn't been able to, um, like throw outside. So he goes to Arizona thinking that he's going to, I think it was either working out with Cole or somebody else and, um, or that field that they have set up with the, the players association, like was supposed to go out there and throw. And then he gets out there and they settle the lockout. Then he has to like go to Iowa, get his stuff and then go to Florida and report the site. And there's just like, you know, it's been wild, man. You know, I was down here for 10 days covering the minor league side of this. And, you know, we're thinking, do we stay? Do we not? We end up going back there for a week. You're not really home because there's stuff, you know, you're happening with the lockout and other stories. And then, you know, you work the week and then, oh, wait, all of a sudden you're going back. So it's just been, it's been really crazy. I can only imagine. I mean, this is, you know, a, a different circumstance. And I meant to plug you at the beginning here. We got right into the episode. But guys, go follow Jason on Twitter at PG, doing, you know, great B coverage for Pittsburgh Sports Now. And it was a weird time, like you said. I mean, we didn't really know what it would look like with the 40 man with the major league side of things. What was that process like? And, you know, the kind of decisions you had to make with your company, do we stay and, you know, do we continue to cover this not knowing if, if baseball is going to make its return anytime soon? I'm really fortunate with the Post-Gazette. Um, they have been, you know, shoot, since I used to cover the Penguins. Like, I've never been asked about, you know, take this flight or, you know, this is too expensive or go here or stay. Like, it's been, this is what I think makes sense. Okay, do it. Um, we're really good. And I'm, I, I never try to lose sight of that because I know that not everybody has that. And, you know, so, like, that informed this decision in the way that my boss was just, like, well, the minor league stuff is important. The way this organization is tracking right now, like people will read about the prospects, your stuff gets trafficked, go cover the minor league camp and you might be there for a while. Um, and they let me come home anytime I want. Um, like I'm coming back in March for a couple of days to see I have two little ones and a wife um, to see them for a little bit. Cause I mean, it is a long time to be here straight through. So um, I'm doing that, but I mean, it's just, logistically, you know, we were trying to plan a family trip down here and we didn't know when that would be. We didn't know if we would be able to get into pirate city. If my kids, you know, I didn't want to like make plans to pull them out of school and then not have it. And now that this is happening, like I don't want to go back and pull on. And so it's just, you know, little things like that. I was, I was talking, I think it was Reynolds this morning. It's just like, we all become the same people at that point. You know, the players all have concerns. They have families. Um, you know, Stratton told me a funny one that, like, he stays on Anna Maria Island. I don't know if you guys read this story. He actually rents one of Mark Melanson's places. I didn't realize Melanson rented houses on Anna Maria Island where he lives in the offseason. But anyway, so, like, Stratton's wife and kids are bugging him. They're saying, like, you know, we want to come down. We want to come down. We want to come down. He doesn't know what to say. It gets to Wednesday. He's like, all right, this is – we're far enough along here. Let's go. And so they take a flight down. It ends up working out perfectly for him. But, you know, like, everybody has that situation where, you know, it's just – logistics and baseball don't always make. Yeah. I mean, I think we can kind of relate to that just, you know, on our side of things, trying to, you know, just keep our website up and running, you know, through the lockout and just trying to figure out like, who's going to write about what and when, and, you know, what is, you know, actual important, relevant information to put out versus not 
So, you know, it's definitely, like you said, it's been an odd time and we're just happy to have baseball back because, you know, we can already see just like the engagement, you know, like you said, the, the readers, you know, the engagement on Twitter, it's starting to, you know, get that baseball fever back a little bit. Yeah. One thing. Yeah. Too, said, yeah. No, I say one thing too, you said, Jason, it's nice to see is, you know, markedly normal baseball has not been normal for so long for between COVID and the lockout and CBA issues. And, you know, it's just nice to have that season. It's going to have that sense of normalcy, even with it starting two weeks late, it's still going to feel pretty normal. And like you mentioned about, you know, being able to be in the clubhouse again and things like that. I was watching the news. It was either a night ago or two nights ago, and they were interviewing Roberto Perez. And like, it was almost weird to see a player being interviewed in the clubhouse again, because you haven't seen it so long, even just little things like that. It's just, it's nice to have that sense of normalcy with baseball back again. So a couple stories with that this morning we're standing there and we see you know and, and when you're a beat reporter and you're around the clubhouse like sometimes we see things that we don't always like rush to report you know like there's a ethical code or whatever you want to call it like if you see a player um you know once you leave the clubhouse like it's fair game but like we're not supposed to have our phones out you know just like tweeting the comings and goings of everything we see because this is kind of these guys like personal lives or whatever so anyway chase the young walks past us and we're like well, I guess Chase DeYoung's here on a non-roster deal. They haven't, they, you know, they haven't announced anything. But, um, you know, and it was also weird because none of us have seen Chase DeYoung in the flesh. You know, you see him as a pitcher on the field. And even our on-field access, we could only go to third base. And that was during batting practice. And a lot of times pitchers would, like, go off the tunnel in, in PNC Park, like, before they could even get to us. So, like, we weren't really in a place where we saw Chase DeYoung and we're right next to him. So I like, he walked past me and I'm like, man, I really know that dude. Who is that? That is somebody. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it, it is weird, man. It is weird. And you know what else I thought today? Um, and I was tweeting about this, Derek Shelton. I don't mean this in a critical way because I'm sure I'm that same way. Like I'm, I'm not, you know, a super, super, dynamic speaker or anything like that. I don't try to be, um, I just try to be realistic with, with people. And, but Shelton, like, I don't think his personality translates as well over zoom. And he was in a room today and was great. He was tremendous. It was one of the best Shelton, maybe the best Shelton session we've had as far as him being like participatory and, you know, us getting actual usable answers. Um, and it's just, you know, it's the type of thing that I think is going to be a lot better when you spend a season face-to-face with somebody and they know where you're coming from versus over a computer screen. Yeah. I think that's probably a huge thing in general with the, the whole new like regime, like coming in fans, you know, everyday fans, like, and you guys, like in general, we haven't gotten to see them a lot. We haven't gotten that, like you said, get that access that we typically would, um, you know, especially like, you know, at, the front office side of things, you know, outside of Ben Charrington, we haven't really gotten to see a lot of these other guys, these young names who they've brought in that, you know, Steven Sanders, you know, who we're supposed to be, you know, hopefully putting our trust in as fans. So I think that will be important to get these guys more exposure. Um, like you were saying. You guys pulling up here on me, the Derek Shelton quotes. <laughs> nice. I like it. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, this is something that that we love to see the, the coverage from this stuff because spring training is covered very well, I think. But, you know, we, we don't get to be there and we don't get as much video access as we do during the regular season. So, you know, 
to kind of segue to to the career side of things for you, what is it like to get a cover a major league baseball team? Because you know there, there's long seasons in the NBA and the NFL, of course, a little bit shorter. Covering a beat in those sports, I'm sure, is intense. But you have a 162 game season. You know, you're you're going all over the place with this team. And I know COVID has has changed some things, but what is it like to cover a 162 season at the major league level? Yeah. So I mean, this has been my bucket list. It really has. Like I. You know, I'll have to start talking about my own background, which you guys may know a little bit of. But, like, I, I grew up in the South Hills, went to Brentwood, played baseball most of my life, played it through college. Um, it's always been my favorite sport. And so, you know, I'm sure people know, like, I used to cover the Penguins, and that was a lot of fun. And they won, and it was really cool to cover a Stanley Cup run. Um, and I've always had the itch or the curiosity or whatever it is to do the baseball thing. Um, I lived in Washington, D.C. for a couple years out of college, and I really fell for – um, beat writing in particular, beat writing, but the Nationals in particular, reading Barry Struluga, who's now a columnist for the Washington Post, but he was covering the Nationals at the time when they came back to D.C. And so, like, I, I just fell head over heels for that. And I'm like, man, I wonder how I would do. I want to know how I would do. Um, and so I'm covering the Penguins, covering the Penguins, and, and you know, nothing wrong with that. Like, I, I loved it, whatever. But Bill Brink um, winds up becoming an enterprise guy at our place. That job opens up. And I thought, you know what, like my kids are small enough that I can pull this off. Um, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to see what happens. Um, and I, so I, I did it and I love it. I love the intensity of it. I love how many games I do. Um, my editor thinks I'm nuts and that's fine. Um, I just like, I like the work. I like, um, you know, I like staying busy. One of the biggest fears that my wife and I have in the off season is the off season is what do I do? Um, I don't rest well and I, I do better. She like jokes that I'm like a cat, you know, and I, I need like a ball to knock around or something like that, which is fine. Like, it's just, you know, yeah, baseball, baseball gives that to you. Um, I also like that baseball over the course of 162 games, you earn people's respect. You know, I would like to think that I walk into that clubhouse and those players have a certain level of respect. Not that I, I'm the big like that but like i approach my job in a professional way um i put everything into it that i possibly uh, not necessarily the most quotable but they're good people and i like that i love ball. so to me probably do 130 or more this season i don't have any issue with that um you know my family makes it work my wife also writes for the post gazette she's my wife is like my you know not no no disrespect to my current editor uh, lydia craver but like my wife is probably my most intense editor where like you have to get that story you have to find it. Like, what, are, what are you doing? What are you doing? She texted me. She's like, I'm getting all these alerts from like Rosenthal and Heyman and stuff. You better be checking with sources on what you're doing. I'm like, yeah, all right, I am. Take it easy. Uh, but I love her. She's great. So, I mean, you have to have a support system like that at home to do this. And I can't even imagine doing it without. Sorry, I could blab. I could no, blab. You're, all, you're all good. <laughs> I just kind of stopped. No, that's amazing. I, I mean, that's, that's, uh, you know, that's an incredible thing. I, I think... your podcast. No, no, please keep, keep going. We want to hear all the stories. You know, this is the inside of the clubhouse. And I mean, that's an amazing story in and of itself. You get to work with your wife um, every day in a close setting. What has that been like to, you know, to get to work with somebody that close to you? And how has that, you know, kind of developed, uh, you know, on the work side of things for you guys being at the same job? I know it's a very demanding job for both. You know, she she is half stay at home mom and half 
um, a features writer. So like she's doing her writing and chasing her. Um, you know, I'm usually doing my stuff throughout the day and, um, you know, maybe I do something like pick up our eight year old from school and like, we'll go to the park or whatever. And, you know, she might be cooking dinner, you know, it's just like these ins and outs, but then usually at the end we'll get our, our, our older one goes to bed fairly early, but by like eight something, they'll both be in bed. And so we'll table in work, I'll transcribe or write. She'll do the same thing. Um, we have a lot of conversations about editors and things going on on. And I'm sure, you know, the post is that bugged our house. Like, you know, we'd get an angry phone call from somebody, but you know, it's, it's all in the name of being creative. It's a lot of fun. Like I read her stuff. She's awesome. Um, I, I, I admire the hell out of what she does. She, she goes and finds stories. Like I, I can't even it, like her background's not even journalism. You know, she was a nurse and a drug rep and an anthropology major and all this crap. And like, it's really impressive how she finds stories. And so like, I try to think about that, like look under weird rocks and find, find stories. But, um, you know, she, she understands what this grind is. Um, and I need to have a limit to the grind. And I try to, you know, always make her know that, or I'll make sure she knows that she's important. My kids know that they're important. Like I just, it's always a fear of mine to go 3 billion miles an hour because at the end of the day, like, you know, the post that could fire me. Oh, I don't think they're going to, but I'm just saying that like, you know, you're never going to have your job. You're always going to have your family. Like I never want to not have my family, but like there is just a certain amount that this job requires of me. It, it, it's a lot of hours, um, but, but I love it. And we make it work. Yeah. Yeah. You say about the angry phone calls, I can, <clears throat> excuse me, attest to someone who used to cover high school football for the local newspaper. The angry phone calls are always the best. But the way I look at it, if you get the angry phone calls, at least you know someone's reading what you're writing. So that was always the uh, the yep. positive spins I would put on whenever you get the angry parent calling the next day that you didn't talk about their kid enough or you spelled a name wrong or had a number wrong or whatever it might be. Marty, you know what I think about with that? And that's a really good point. Like I, I weigh this a lot. If I did something wrong, I will beat myself up over it so, so much, you know, that'll really bother me. I've gotten to the point and I didn't, I wasn't always there with beat reporting and it used to really irk me. Like, even if I did something completely correctly, if somebody got mad, like that was a problem. But if I have done everything the right way and if somebody gets mad, that's on them, that's on them. And I, here's, here's a story or exchange or whatever that I sometimes tell people about. It was actually covering hockey. Um, and I used to go back and forth with Sid about this a lot. And, you know, he would, he would say like, I don't care if you criticize me and if it's based on numbers, he's like, if, if it's factual, like that's true. Like if I'm not scoring and you write that I need to score, I know that you think you're <laughs> going to put more pressure on me than I'm putting on myself. Like, he's like, I don't care what you write. If it's factual, I'm like, yeah, I, I know. And I've never. I've never, ever, ever seen a professional athlete that got mad at me or anybody else for using facts, for using numbers, saying they're not playing well because of X, Y, and Z or whatever. You know, they're fine with it. And Sid used to joke that if you were asking him about not scoring, that was when he was going to score. So that, people get mad, but if you did things for the right reason, screw it. Who cares? I've gotten to the point that you know, you, you can't control people getting mad or not. But I, I think that just comes with time. Man, yeah, what a great outlook on it. And, you know, that's something that I, I love what you said there about the players. 
that's not going to add any pressure. They're professional athletes. Um, but, you know, I think there is that element of trust between the beat writer, between whoever's covering the team and the player. What is that process like, gaining that trust with the locker room? And, and how long does that take to kind of build up? Yeah, I don't think there's any sort of set timeline. Um, but I think that, you know, and look, it, it starts from the moment you get on the beat or the beginning of the season or the player comes into the organization or whatever. You know, the Pirates, I don't want to say coach these guys, but they certainly, like, I'm aware that the Pirates are going to give these players a scouting report on me. And hopefully it is, you know, he has a bad mustache, he's awkward, and he <laughs> is going to work his ass off. Like, I, I don't know. I don't, but, no, seriously, like, they're not going to say that I'm unethical. They're not going to say that I'm a jerk. They're going to say that, hopefully, I'm accurate. Um, I'm going to pursue things. I'm going to be an aggressive reporter. Um, and hopefully that I'm going to be fair. And so I, I've never had an issue with that. Now, I do think that um, you, it, it takes a little bit of time to get to a certain place with players. One, where they trust you. And two, where you just sort of break down walls, which is another reason I like baseball so much. Um, I would use Chris Archer as an example. I got on the beat in 2019, May of 2019. And Archer at the beginning was a jerk. And he didn't, you know, he, he could blow me off. He was going to go eat. He didn't have time, whatever. Throughout the course of the season, we ended up talking. We ended up talking about me playing um, and me being honest with him, saying, and like, look, I don't, I don't think that you know, my athletic career doesn't mean anything compared to you, you know. But, like, I'm not a moron either, hopefully. Uh, you know, I can hopefully ask you questions and explain, like, how I approach doing my job. And anyway, so, like, in downtime, you have these conversations with people. There, there's no recorder. There's no nothing. And, like, they understand where you're from. And a lot of guys like with families, you know, that we can talk about our kids. We can talk about whatever. And, you know, with Archer, it just became, he was there. We'd talk about, I don't know, baseball, what they're doing, what I did last night, family, how he's feeling. You know, it, it did, there was no set topic. Um, but the more you do that, and if a player sees that he can have a conversation with you and it's going to not, it's not going to wind up in the newspaper the next day, then they're going to trust you. And it's going to keep going. And then they're going to tell their buddies. And, or at least theoretically, you would hope, like somebody can say like, hey, he's, he can keep a secret or he's a halfway decent dude or he knows what to do with a piece of information, blah, blah, blah. Like there's certain things when you're told something as a beat reporter, and this is even true for, you know, sources, whoever it may be, like front office people or scout or a player or whatever. Like you have to know how to protect that person. You have to know. Um, this is something that I've learned over the course of the, my time doing this job. Like if I get something, I know where my next step is from there. And I have a, you know, I have a, a, like an outer circle of people I can check it with. Then I have somebody a little bit closer Then I have somebody a little bit closer and somebody a little bit closer. And hopefully like if you guys read something that says sources on it, that's been thoroughly vetted. You know, I've yet in my career to write something that is from sources that is not accurate. Um, and there's a reason for that. And so, I mean, that, that's the process of developing relationships with players. It's just showing them they can trust you, showing these people that you're a decent human being, um, that you're going to treat them fairly, that you're going to care about, you know, I don't want to say care about their well-being because it's not my job to care about their well-being, but to just like care about not being a tool when it comes to covering them. I don't, I don't, I don't know the right way to put that, but just like treat, treat them with respect, treat them the way you would want to be treated. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I mean, that's something that, that, like you said, I think it takes time. But, um, you know, it is all about respect at the end of the day. And, 
with, with more time in the market, and I think with this organization in specific, you know, with this rebuild, being with these guys for for a long time, that trust comes. What have you noticed about this rebuild? You know that that's different than, than a lot of other teams. This is a, a rebuild that has brought in a lot of quantity, maybe over quality. One would say, but you know, you cover this team as close as anybody. What has been kind of the highlight for you throughout this rebuild? And, you know, what have been some areas you haven't liked as much? Um, highlight throughout the rebuild would probably be the 21 draft. Um, I feel like that was sort of the pressure point with people seeing what they're doing and maybe believing in it more. Um, I, I mean, that's just my own opinion. You guys might see it differently. But um, I feel like Ben Sherrington really said something about what he's doing and how he's able to do it and whatever. And it's not just like the selections they made. I feel like around that time too is when the farm system really sort of gain traction and you're starting to see this plan and what this is going to look like. Um, I would say one unique thing about covering this is how well that stuff plays. Um, you know, we cover the minor leagues like they're a major league organization. Um, and there's a reason for that. Like if I write something about Henry Davis, that's going to do really well on our website traffic wise, um, probably more so than most players on the MLB team, because I think that's what people care about. Um, you know, there was a reason we committed to going to uh, minor league spring training for 10 days with me and Matt Freed, our photographer. You know, that's a lot of resources to invest, but we felt like there was enough there to, to write about these guys. And, you know, we've done the Pirates Pipeline, like our Saturday minor league feature and, you know, even more stuff than that. Like we're writing about this stuff because people are reading it. I wouldn't do it if nobody cared. Um, and so that, like, that's just shocking to me because I having covered the Penguins or seeing what the Peng, our Penguins guys are doing now, like they're not pumping out that level of stuff about Wilkes-Barre or wheeling or something like that, you know, but like I can go pump out a whole ton of stuff about Indianapolis or Altoona, Bradenton, Greensboro, and people are going to read it. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely, you know, something you definitely see with pirate fans. And I think a lot of it also is just the current state of the team. Like, you know, you look at 2022, for example, the most exciting thing this year, it's going to be watching one Ronzi Contreras and O'Neill Cruz are officially on the, big league roster for good. It's going to be watching, <clears throat> excuse me, Henry Davis and Anthony Salamento and whoever else throughout the minor leagues, you know, whenever yeah. you're stuck in a rebuild like this, as much as it sucks as a fan, that's the exciting thing, especially when you have a farm system this good, you know, and I think for pirate fans too, a lot of it is, and you know, Jason, you've always followed the pirates, you know what it's like for a lot of years, they weren't good and they didn't have a good farm system. So they weren't good, and there didn't appear to be much hope on the horizon. But, you know, I feel like that a lot of that really started to change prior to that run in 13 to 15, obviously. And I think it gave fans a new appreciation for following the minor leagues, for following the prospects. Because that is something we see also, where stuff we will do on the minor league systems will do just as well as some of the major league stuff. Especially, you know, you're in the middle of July, the Pirates are 20 games under 500, and people would much rather see – what O'Neill Cruz or a Henry Davis or whoever it may be is doing in the minors because that's their hope. That's that's their light at the end of the tunnel per se. Their points of optimism. Exactly. I mean that's 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 what we are as pirate fans, right? We <laughs> we're not optimistic and we're you know 
what we see a lot on Twitter. <laughs> but no, I mean, yeah. I agree with you. Like that, the draft last year. I mean, like Marty said, just to kind of combine the two subjects, like that was the best traffic we ever saw on our website. Like in mm. terms of, like I mean, by far the best. Like it, you know, setting records every day of the draft, like with more views and just the overall month. You know, and like you said, I think it's because people are they 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 saw you know Ben Charrington kind of putting his money where his mouth is, you know, and actually being aggressive and trying to get the best players and not just going through the motions of you know the draft. And I, I feel like maybe under the previous regime, especially towards the end there, we started to kind of see that where it's just kind of you know monotonous with them uh, in terms of their draft yeah. classes. So. To actually have, you know, and you go back to the 2020 draft and to get Nick Gonzalez, like, that, you know, there's a lot of excitement about what they did in that class as well. So for them to, like, kind of, you know, blow that one out of the water, this one was obviously, you know, very impressive for them. The, uh, the Wi-Fi where we stay down here is uh, not great. It, 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 we, like, we like the place. It's an awesome setup that, like, the Wi-Fi lags a little bit. So I, I was spinning on you guys. Sorry about that. No, you're good. No worries. Yeah, it was, it was cool around that draft period, man. You guys are, like, taking me back to what it was like reporting that and talking to Charrington, and then people are yelling about, like, you know, are they going to take the best player available? And, like, this – hubbub over it and then sure enough like Charrington winds up with five top 100 kids and everybody sort of takes a step back like oh oh that makes sense yeah Henry Davis well they need a catcher and here's this kid with this killer work ethic and character then they got a pitcher and a two-way player like people started to all of a sudden just understand what he was doing and I think like you guys probably saw it before um, I would hope to think that I saw it before, but it went a little bit more mainstream. And so like, that was just, that was just fun to see, you know, it was, it was sort of affirmation that this is, uh, you know, I want to say working or it looks like it's working or whatever. And then, I mean, we get into this off season too, and this has been a really weird, fun, cool, informative <coughs> off season. Um, you know, we've been down to Bradenton. I think this is my third or fourth time this off season. We did the get better at baseball camp. Um, and I say we, like, you know, Alex Stump for Beer Temple, um, they were there for the first one. And then there was a, a get better at pitching thing. Um, they were there as well. Um, but, you know, there were like, these separate developmental camps where they really focused on doing things differently as pitchers. What do we need to work on? Um, how do, you know, doing, doing different drills that you've probably, you know, guys have read the stories about and, and training differently and blah, 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 blah. Um, not to regurgitate all of that, but, like, it's been a neat, piece of insight into not only, you know, are they drafting differently, but hopefully those draft picks, they're not going to do the same sort of stuff that they did with glass now meadows, et cetera. And, you know, hopefully the development will be done right this time. <laughs> Gotta hope so. Sorry, Marty, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, God, I hope so. Cause it yeah, was... I was going to yeah. second that, <laughs> uh, third that, I mean, it's, you know, it, it's something to get excited about. This is a draft class that, you know, at first, I think everybody was a little bit surprised by when you saw Henry Davis on the board. But as it went on, like you said, Jason, I mean, this is something, um, you know, to get excited about that. All of these guys were signed and um, you know, the Pirates can have a chance to develop these guys, but they're not there quite yet at the big league level. 
you know, we've had the struggles these last couple of seasons, probably going to see a lot of the same this year. How do you cover a team that you know is going to lose, that you know is going to struggle on a daily basis? What do you do to, yeah. you know, to kind of get that team excited in the media? And, and how do you stay focused on covering a team that you know is going to lose like 100 games? That's been hard. Honestly, like if, I, if I'm being completely honest, that that and not like, oh, my God, this is a grind, you know, but like I went from covering really like high stakes things where every game matters to like this game doesn't really matter. You know, I can kid myself and think that it matters, but it doesn't. And so, I mean, what I've tried to do and I haven't been perfect at it because it's been an adjustment and it's challenged me as a writer, which has been cool. I'm not complaining, um, but you have to think bigger picture with everything you're seeing. You have to, you know, pursue stories that aren't necessarily game to game. Um, if I was covering the Yankees, I could write about a game and that that would be good enough. Um, I'm not. So you need to find things that are deeper. Um, one thing that I've found on this beat is that sort of the bigger, more involved stuff you do, the better it does performance wise, traffic wise, et cetera. Not just to make up crap and to throw it out there, but like, you know, if I, and this has been a struggle for me personally, like I want to write, 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 and just crank a bunch of crap. But if I take a step back and think, how do I do a deeper, longer, bigger analysis of this? Or how do I do a deeper feature on this and really turn this into something bigger? Like to me, that's where there has to be kind of a line of demarcation where you're not just cranking out content and feeding the beast as much because you know, the day-to-day the -day doesn't matter as much, but like the big picture, you always have to think big picture. You have to think analytical um, about what, what this means, what we're seeing could mean in a greater context, I guess. Yeah, no doubt. You joined in 2019, uh, starting on the beat with the Pirates there. And like you said, you had a lot of hockey coverage before that. What are kind of the differences with the players, when you talk about covering hockey and baseball, you know, you mentioned the, developing the relationship with some of these players on the Pirates, but, um, you know, is it different than, than getting to know a hockey team and covering a hockey team? Obviously, a, a lot longer yeah. season. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know what, though? It, it isn't. It really isn't. Like, I, I baseball, um, I would say the days are longer. More crap happens. You know, like you'll have four roster moves on one given day in baseball, and that's just like Tuesday. You know, you, you don't have four roster moves in hockey. Um, but if you cover Stanley Cup run at the same time, like you're working every single day, really, really long hours, traveling, all kinds of crap. Like that, that is a lot. Anyway, but like building relationships with those guys, they're a lot more closed off than baseball players are. Um, I, I, I describe baseball players like there's the, the lows are lower and the highs are higher. Um, you get the Cole Tuckers of the world that like I could call up Cole Tucker right now and say, Hey, Cole, my car's broken down. Can you come over and give me a jump? And like, he might, he really might do it. Uh, he might be sleeping right now, but like, that's, that's how nice he is. And you also have guys and I, I'd rather not name them who are just jerks. You just, I don't really want to deal with you or you're, you know, you have nothing to say. Um, I'm not going to talk to you all that much. Um, or you have players that, you know, we're going to get mad and scream at you, which is fine. I mean, that's their right, too. Um, it's just the higher the, the the highs are higher and the lows are lower with baseball. And, you know, but it's the same concept. It's the same idea of I have to show up every day, do my job, do it in a professional way, put forth effort, treat them with respect. Um, you know, I there's no like magic sauce for this. 
And I know that's not what you're asking me. It's just like, that's, that's sends me down this like rabbit hole of how I do my job and how I approach my job. And like, I, I was never, I never had any sort of high level journalism training. I literally had two journalism classes in college. I didn't know crap. I came out of there uh, out of college. I was a terrible writer. Um, started writing for weekly newspapers covering high school sports. And like, I just wanted to do it. I told myself I wanted to do it. And I kept doing it and like, I'd screw up and I'd try to not make that same mistake again. And I'd screw up. I'd try to not make that same mistake again. But like, I always put forth a ton of effort and hopefully treated people with respect and learned enough to do that really well. Um, and, and just like, no matter what I've done, high schools, colleges, penguins, a little bit of Steelers, pirates, um, I, I've just, I've given people my total effort and hopefully been good to them and been fair and been ethical. And like, that's going to earn you respect. That's going to earn you respect in hockey. That's going to let you do your job. Like you either know how to be creative and find a story and write and all that stuff, or you don't. There's only so far I can take you. You know, I would take a kid out of college who wants to really, really work and he really, really cares if he can't formulate two sentences. I would rather take that kid than the somebody who like, thinks he knows it all and it's just going to write and you know it has like it's head in the clouds you know i want the work ethic Don't worry, yeah i'm gonna get off my soapbox now i feel like that's, no, a that's sermon awesome. or something. <laughs> <laughs> no dig rabbit holes we love it we love it it's um you know i i think it's all great points and it's something that everybody can't do that that's something i've learned in our, our short time you know doing this podcast or covering anything in sports it's something that takes you know a special type of person to to commit themselves to that and, um, you know, be able to do it for anything, especially a, a major league baseball season, hockey season as well there. But, you know, there's highs, there's lows. Let's talk about some of these highs. What are your favorite memories covering the Pirates? You've been there for three seasons now, coming yeah. up on a fourth. Talk about, you know, even through some of the losing, what, what have been your favorite moments, um, you know, in your time covering the Pirates? Yeah, man. So um, O'Neill Cruz coming up last year was like right up there. That was so cool to see like look this is what it could be you know i remember like looking outside and where the press box is you guys have been up there have some conception of it like you can look out on west general robinson street and like i could see the line to buy tickets like snaking around and at one point i'm like screw this i'm going down here i'm, I'm like you know i want to walk through this and um i remember you guys know josh yoey probably from the athletic he's a good friend of mine he was at that game and he texted me he's like dude there's so many people here and i, I just like you know, I, I had to just walk around and see it. Like, it was so – because, I mean, I wasn't on the beat in 2013, 14 or 15 or anything like that. Like, I, I it, that's just always been, you know, something I watched on TV and, and was a fan like everybody else. Um, but so that was really cool. Um, I always go to this. I don't know if this is my favorite memory, but it's the most nuts time I've ever, I've ever had on the beat. You guys remember the fight in Cincinnati where Kella admitted that he threw at Dietrich? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I believe that was the night of the tread, trade deadline, or maybe it was like the series was, of the trade deadline was. or something. It was when Puig yeah. got traded, right? Yeah, Puig, Puig right. was, yeah, Puig the was in the fight. He was getting traded. He's in the middle right. of the fight. He's getting traded to Cleveland. <laughs> like, I remember I, I left the press box like three in the morning that, that morning, something like that. But I remember like all that stuff happened. And by the time, like, the dust settled when we got up from the clubhouse, like, all of our deadlines at the paper were, like, gone. You know, some writing for the website. And at this point, I'm like, screw this, man. I'm turning this into something. You know, I've been here for this long. Like, I'm going to write the hell out of this. And so I did, and it was fun. And, and you're up in the middle of the night. Like, that was, that was just a good time. Um, 
trying to think what else, what else a lot of those really games like. are those red those reds games it's yeah. that I, mean, year. I, I feel yeah, like the, the pirates and reds since game. since like the 70s that's what it's been every year there's going to be at least one good brawl guys are going to throw at each other not even try and hide it like i love it, it you know yeah. baseball could definitely use a little bit more of that passion in teams oh yeah the way i feel you know like honestly that's you know one what? of the things that made 13 through 15 so fun was the reds also being good and there being so much bad blood between the two teams yeah yeah i agree um yeah the other thing i was going to bring up too is as close as i've been able to get to some old pirates um like i've done stories on elroy face and maz and um dick growth and blast and um, trying to like you know and, and unfortunately the ones that have passed away like um i i can't believe that that is still like the coolest thing in the world to me that that's my job um i was raised on that stuff you know i was i was my dad was the biggest baseball not you know he loved all sports but like what we had in common was baseball um and you know my dad passed in march of 2018 um and so like that was also a big reason why i went over to baseball like i just thought you know, hey, it's something we shared. Lost him. I'm going to go add this. Um, but anyway, like getting to share, getting to see all of that and experience all of that is so cool for me. And I have such respect for those guys. And uh, they're also like all the nicest people in the world. I mean, Steve Blast, as you guys know, is just genuinely one of the best human beings you could ever come across. And like, you know, I consider him a friend now. And like, I, I think the world of Greg Brown or, you know, the fact that like John Wayner, Sean Casey, uh, Bob Walk and like they 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 read my work and like think that I don't suck. I I don't that that still just blows my mind sometimes. Um, I, not that it didn't click that way on hockey, but it, it there's just something about like my baseball background, how I grew up or whatever that like that that triggers something else. Or like you know Jim Leland is like cracked jokes toward me in an elevator. I'm like Jim Leland. Jim Leland, you know, <laughs> that, like that's still not that that's still like so incredibly cool. To me. What kind of what kind of stories uh, Jim Leland had in the bank for? I mean, what kind of jokes he had oh for you in God. the elevator? <laughs> oh, so what, what was it? We, so Bruce Tanner is a scout for the Tigers, and he's just you know Chuck Henderson, like just awesome guy. So anyway, Tigers are in town, and we're in an elevator. It's Bruce Leland. Um, and, and Bruce, for whatever reason, has introduced me to Leland a couple of times. And like, we know each other. Hey, Skip, you know, you know, Jason Mackey. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we've, we've met or whatever. And, and something, he said like, oh, yeah, call me anytime or something. I said, oh, can I take you up on that? Can I call you tonight? He's like, no, no, no. I was, I was just kidding. <laughs> Don't actually call me all the time or, or whatever. <laughs> Forget what it was. I'm not, I'm not doing the story justice, but it was some, some interaction in an elevator where like a, a joke was put on a tee for Leland at my expense. And he crushed it. And like, I was so happy to wear that. Like Jim Leland can make fun of me anytime. I'm good. It's, I will crack up every single time Jim Leland makes me laugh. But like the story I did, you know, like another one. Um, I've always been fascinated by Bob Prince. And so two years ago, I, got to, I, I ended up saying like, I'm just going to do this story where I find as many Bob Prince stories as I can and like turn it into something. And like, I've also always been fascinated by Leland in this off season. I said, I'm going to do this Leland thing. I want to see how many stories about Jim Leland I can hear. Um, and so I end up talking to Rich Donnelly and Barry Bonds and Wayner and all these people. Um, I have never laughed so hard reporting a story as I did. Like my poor wife probably wanted to kill me. I get off the phone or I'm transcribing or whatever. 
I'm busting out laughing. What now? I'm like, no, 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 seriously. There's this story with Jim Leland in the hotel room and he's swinging a golf club out the window. You know, it's just this stuff that like, I'm, it almost like warmed my soul to still do this story because I'm like, man, all right, cool. This is still fun. This is still, this is still making me happy. Like I'm not jaded. I'm not, you know, curmudgeon or anything about it. You know, like this is still, I'm still enthusiastic by this. So that's good. Oh, that's awesome. No, I mean, I'm sure the stories you come across, some of the people you meet, it's just endless wealth of stories there. And we could get into that all night. I'm, I've already been, um, you know, super excited to hear some of these, about some of the guys at the major league level, some of these old, um, you know, his, historians of the Pirates at this point. But, you know, as we talk about the future of this organization and where it's headed right now, you know, what's your outlook on everything? You're seeing these guys at spring training right now, been following these guys up for a couple of years. Where do you think, this organization is headed, you know, is it as green pastures as we maybe would, would like to think with some of these minor leaguers or, you know, what's, what's the real take on Pirates baseball moving forward? Yeah. And I mean, I, I don't know if I'd say green pastures, but I mean, I certainly think there are better days ahead. Um, <laughs> I, I would like to think that this year they've got a solid combination of, you know, guys that need opportunity in roles where they're going to get opportunity. Um, you know, Vogelbach is a perfect example of that. Like he could get, he probably should get 500 plate appearances. That doesn't happen much for him. Um, you know, Yoshi's going to get the play. Ben Gamble's going to get the play. Roberto Perez, theoretically, if he's healthy, is going to get the play. Um, and so you're going to have that sort of current of things happening while we talk about Rolando Contreras and O'Neill Cruz and Rodolfo Castro and all these guys coming up. And I think, those two things aren't going to produce a ton of wins this year. You know, I would be stunned. Well, I'm not stunned, but, you know, if they get to 70 wins or something like that, I mean, I, I feel like we'd probably consider that a very good year. But what I think for this season, at least as far as the future, like you want to see some guys come up here and do things. I want to see Mason Martin come up here and see how he fares. I want to see how, I don't know, Kanan Smith and Jigba, Jack Sawinski, G1 Bay, uh, Cal Mitchell, whomever you know, this next wave of kids come up. And as far as things deeper than that, um, I couldn't possibly be more impressed with how they're drafting, developing all this stuff. Like it's a completely different vibe when you talk about the minor leagues and, and the effort they're putting into coaching and, and developing guys. Uh, John Baker, if you guys haven't noticed by now, like is incredibly bright, really, really, mm. really smart dude. And like, is get starting to get some serious stroke with the pirates. And, you know, I think people around the league are, are noticing that, but like they're doing this the right way. They're developing kids the right way. They're this, they're going to bring like, they're, they're not all going to suck. They're going to bring them up here and they're going to be productive. And so, you know, when that happens, man, like I think it's going to happen sooner than later. I think you're going to see some, some good things this season. And then you're going to see a whole bunch next season. Like 23 is when it's going to actually turn. Um, and, you know, it's just, I think people are going to fall for this way of doing things and it's going to be fun. Yeah. I definitely think the pirates are a team that, you know, you look at where they're going to be in opening day and look where they're going to be in September. And I feel very confident saying by September, they have the potential to be a much better team than opening day. Cause by then you have to think, you know, Oh no, Cruz is in this lineup every day. Ronzi Contreras in the rotation some of these other younger pitchers, you know, Miguel Ure, Bryce Wilson, guys like that, you got to think at least one or two of them are going to put it together. And just even across the rest of the field, other guys you mentioned, Rodolfo Castro, Jiwon Bay, 
uh, in the outfield. What's that? Travis Swaggerty. Yeah, Travis Swaggerty. Swaggerty. Yep. You know, Kenan Smith and Jigba, whoever it might be, you're going to see right. so many kids get opportunities. Like you said, some of them are going to stick, and the ones who are going to stick are going to make this team better. And the, the the opportunities, what I'm really excited for, you know, I don't know if Great. we're going to see it. I would love to see it, you know, opening day to <clears> – I don't think they'll do it, but I can understand the train of thought why you would have just take a Swaggerty and stick him in left field and see what you got. You know, he's what – I'm going to click 25 already. I mean, he's a guy who's probably been hurt more the last two seasons by not just injuries, but the COVID stuff and almost anyone in their minor league system. Because, I mean, you know, he would have made the majors last year. He was off to a good start at AAA to blow up his shoulder. You know, a, a guy like a Diego Castillo, who's just done nothing but hitting the minors. I'd like to see him potentially on the opening day roster, see what he can do. So, you know, it, it's going to be – to me, that's what makes – baseball even when you're not a great team can still be a lot of fun is you're going to have a lot of these guys who are going to get their first significant taste of major league action this year and you know i've said for a few years now i think you could potentially see some parallels between 2022 and like a 2011 or a 2012 where the team finishes under 500 but you can really see those pieces starting to fall into place you can start to see those guys who okay we know we've got that core now we just need to add to it in whatever that fashion may be. And I think that will happen this year. And I think it's, it's going to make it exciting where if nothing else, you can start to see that future. You can start to see the hope, the light into the tunnel, however you want to put it of making pirate baseball exciting again. Yeah. That's a big thing, Marty. Like there's, there's things to get excited about this year. There's points. There's a lot more like points of emphasis in terms of prospects that will be coming up and people on the roster that could actually matter for this team going forward. Like you said, it's not going to be maybe right away here, but by the end of the season, we're going to start to really see that coming together. And for now, like, you, you know, we can look forward to, you know, hopefully seeing those guys slowly make their way up. Yeah, no doubt about it. The name of my Wi-Fi right now is uh, Pirates 2024 World Champs. So I'm going to hold him to that <laughs> at least. But we're going to see, uh, you know, what this season looks like. It's going to be a different kind of season. Before we get out of here, Jason, and thank you so much for coming on, spending this time with us. We know your schedule is incredibly busy right now with spring training, everything else firing up. But I got to know, you're well-traveled, man. What is your favorite ballpark that you've been to? Um, and, and your final thoughts as you really get into spring training and get set for this 2022 season. Man, um, so I love I love talking travel. You talk to any sports writer, they'll talk travel and, and talk <laughs> your ear off. Um, so my favorite city is San Francisco. And I guess it's not AT&T Park, and I'm blanking on the name of it. Someone help me Oracle, out. Oracle. Right? Oracle, thank you. Yeah, it's Oracle. Um, now, yeah. yeah, so I, I – that's <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that I mean that's probably it. Um, the sight lines, at least for writers, are tremendous. Um, I have a tough time not saying Wrigley. I love Wrigley so much. Like I just so badly want like a hot July afternoon game at Wrigley, and like you know to just feel normal and with a crowd and and game a game that like somewhat matters. But anyway, San Francisco is hands down my favorite city. The Grateful Dead tie in there. Um, I just I love going to Hate Ashbury and seeing all the hippies and that's like mecca for me. But um, you know, I, I, I guess I'll go with that one with with Wrigley close second. And um, I'm excited to see what this team does, man. Maybe I'm you know a, a, a dork or I'm entertained by things that that aren't actually entertaining. I don't know. 
but um, I'm fascinated to see, you know, this Mitch Keller figure it out. Uh, I, I would certainly think this is the year where they need to see something from him. Um, can key Brian Hayes be the type of hitter he was in September, 2020? Do they extend Brian Reynolds? What happens with O'Neill Cruz? Like, to me, this team does not lack for intrigue, and it doesn't mm-hmm. – you know, I'm not looking at them to make the playoffs. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs, but I think there's going to be a lot of things to monitor here. Yeah, that's one thing I was going to say. For being a team that going into the season, absolutely no one expects them to even come close to competing for a postseason berth. There's a lot more storylines and a lot sure. more intrigue and things to watch than you would typically see on a team like that, which you know hopefully will lead to excitement and making the season more entertaining than – most of your 90 plus lost seasons are. You know, what's cool too about that. And I think fans play a part in that as well. Mm -hmm. I'd I'd like to think that media does too, but like, this is such a great baseball town, man. Like the, the, you guys know this with your site, but like on, on ours and how the pirates play and stuff. Like I know my editor who she's not from here and just moved in. She's like, I am continually surprised by how well your stuff does given Mm -hmm. how not successful this team is right now. And, you know, to me, that's a credit to baseball fans in the city of Pittsburgh. And, and that's such a cool thing that people still care and read and consume and talk about it and, and debate things and get upset and, and whatever. So I, I never take that for granted. Yeah, no, one thing to build off that that, you know, always makes us feel good and is also really cool to see is we'll have site editors from some of the biggest markets in baseball, their websites, reaching out to us like, what are you guys doing? Because we see how well really? – yeah, because every week for fan side, the 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 guy's name's Kurt, the head of the MLB division, he'll send out the weekly rundown. And we're constantly in the top 10, a lot of times in the top five of page views each week. And we'll have people from all these other cities, like, what are you guys doing? Like, your team stinks. They've had yep. four good seasons out of the last 30, and you guys are killing it. And that's what I'll tell them. Said I, I don't even think it's as much as what we do as it is just baseball. It's just it, it, Pittsburgh's a city that still loves the Pirates, and it's a city that – yeah. Once a winner so bad, and I mean, you see it. The any any sense of this team being any good and competitive at all, the ballpark fills up immediately, and yeah. it's that's just the way it is. It's the way it's always been, and hopefully, it'll always be that way. Man, it's the people same thing just, on our. Go ahead, Nick. Good. No, I was just gonna say, people just want the information. They just oh. consume, you know, they consume, you know, sports information in this city, and the Pirates have always been a part of this city. So, you know, they're it's like ingrained, you know, no matter what people are going to have some, some passion about it. And, you know, hopefully with all the new access, you know, in terms of just being able to pull up stuff, you know, right in front of you all the time on your phone or your computer, like, you know, it's definitely made it a lot easier for people to get that access. Yeah. I always, I, I try to minim, minimize like the amount of, clapping back at people on Twitter I do like I, I realize like I shouldn't ever like I should just you know stop and shut up and whatever but like one of the things that gets me triggered and like I, I can't help but say something they tell me like you know why don't you go cover something that matters or nobody cares about the pirates nobody wants to read about the pirates blah 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 well at least in terms of post-gazette traffic the top three traffic drivers this past season were our Steelers beat reporters number four was me so somebody's reading about the pirates. I don't know if they're doing it accidentally or what, but I mean, it was more than the penguins, more than our columnists, more and not, it's not an arms race. I'm, I'm not saying it's me. It's I'm, what I'm saying is there is a fan base out there and they might not want to go to games. They might be mad, but they're still reading. And anyway, 
and hopefully they're clicking on your site or listening to podcasts or checking us out or whatever, but it's, it's neat that it still exists. Yeah. I, I just love when people come with the no one cares thing and I'll say this every now and yeah. again to people and usually they don't know how to respond. I'm like, well, you cared enough to respond to this. So clearly you care in some <laughs> Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it, it, it's something that, you know, is, has been uh, a little bit different these past few years. They haven't been winning. It's been tough to be a fan for, but I think it's frustration more than a lack of, of care at this point for a lot of people. And like you guys both said, I mean, when this gets to be something, um, you know, a team that's winning in Pittsburgh, I think the fee- the seats are going to be refilled like we saw in 2013 through 15, that run. It will be back, guys. And it's going to continue this season regardless of how many games they win or lose. And you can follow Jason Mackey for all of that coverage. Go to Twitter, check him out, at PG. All of the latest coverage, you can find that he is a, a Grateful Dead uh, survivor there. Survives on Grateful Dead, rather. <laughs> um, and, and all of his great tweets, along with his great coverage with the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Guys, for everything Rumbunter, go to rumbunter.com. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter as well, at Rumbunter. We're going to be back with an episode breaking down this new CBA, talking about some of these rule changes, everything else that comes with it. Um, you know what this 2022 season is going to look like. For Marty Leap and Nick Caparoso, my name is Trey Anity. Jason, thank you so much again for coming on tonight, sharing your thoughts with us, your outlook on this 2022 season. Until next time, guys, this has been episode number 79 of From Butcher Radio. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great week. Let's go Bucks. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.